1: This isn't a plug uh, for the other D.C. soccer podcast I do, but if, if anyone listens... Plug it, Jason. Feel free to plug it. Hold on. <laughs> if anyone listens to Plexweather, you may have heard an episode I did the last time the Spirit played Orlando. Uh, they're playing them again uh, this weekend, so I'm really, really rolling the dice here. Uh, but if you listen to that episode... Uh, you know that during the course of the the early course of the episode, I knocked an entire uh, glass of cold brew over. It necessitated stopping the show, doing some emergency uh, rug cleaning, uh, two different trips to the dump to throw away old computer equipment that was now not just old computer equipment that was dubious at best for me to keep, but now like filled with uh, cold brew <laughs> inside of it. Um and yet here I am. It's 11:02 a.m. I'm spoiling what are you drinking for myself because I'm drinking cold brew. It's it's in the same spot even. Jason, don't <laughs> don't wreck this, okay?
0: Plug your podcast. Plug the other podcast. Definitely. I already said the name this, of this. What, what do you play, want me to do? Weather. Yeah. Um do that. Do not spill the cold brew again, Jason.
1: Uh, we'll see. <laughs>
0: Hey, hey, welcome in. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson. Ben Bromley's unable to join us this morning uh, because it's morning. We're doing a rare before noon, sun is up kind of podcast recording. Uh, And and that is because DC United has a game uh, this weekend, and this was the only time we could make it work. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about DC United's upcoming visit from Atlanta United, uh, that's Saturday night, 8 p.m., watch it on NBC Sports Washington, tell dcunited.com, ESPN Plus, or at Audi Field, if you are able to get there physically. Uh, we're going to start tonight, though, talking about DC United's loss up in New England on Wednesday night. But before that, I would ask Jason what he's drinking, but as he said, he already spoiled it. I, too, am drinking coffee, but it's just traditional drip coffee, no cold brew, and it is on a table that is not where my laptop is. It is on a side table. Um, because I too would destroy things with spills if given the opportunity. And I have at work and at home and everywhere else I've been, um, everywhere, nearly just about like (laughs) so many places I've, everywhere else you've been. Yes, I am. It is a superpower that is, uh,
1: at least one country that I, or two countries that I know of for sure. Uh, just from. Uh, yeah, I you over the years. On I, this I podcast, may be
0: persona non grata in like Sweden, Austria,
1: and <laughs> London, uh, Germany,
0: Spain, yeah. Mexico, Canada. All yeah, of these I, countries demolished uh, yeah. and, and yes. left. Just very small portions of them were demolished yes, just, by liquid well. <laughs> beverages in my presence. Right. Uh, <laughs> DC United got the early lead on Wednesday night, but Bruce Arena's halftime triple sub proved. Decisive. They scored two quick goals, and the Black and Red United fell to the New England Revolution. I said the Black and Red United. I just meant the Black and Red. Our website did not lose this game.
1: Um, if we held the to three to two, that would be very good for us. That would
0: be really impressive. We don't even have eleven staff members.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, none of us are professional soccer players, so that would be really impressive. I think scoring any goals against the best team in the league would be really impressive. But um, anyway, the Black and Red fell to the New England Revolution three to two. Uh, in New England, Edison Flores and Paul Ariola combined for the opener. Unfortunately, Ariola appears to have injured his hamstring on that finish, uh, which is not the best thing because those 10 minutes that they played together were really good. They looked really good together. They have a nine uh, goals per 90 when they're on the field together this year. Um, that's, that's really good. Unfortunately, it's, it came from a very small sample size of 10 minutes, and I don't know when we're going to get more
1: yeah uh, because we don't know uh, at this point we're recording this about uh a little over an hour uh, before DC United's press conference so um we'll find out more i maybe about Oriola's injury status um as as far as what it what's going on with him but um it was a really promising look especially because this was those two playing up front uh as a uh, you could almost call it like a 3520 um yeah where there was they no were true f- number nine on the field right. for United. They're, they're the forwards, but they're not forwards. Um, and so, uh, on the plus side, that actually gave the Revs problems because they weren't really able to figure out who am, who am I picking up? Where am, where are they going to be? Um, if you looked at where uh, Ariola and Flores lined up without the ball, this is something that Nashville did to DC to a certain extent. Um, without the ball, you had Ariola right of center, Flores left of center. But Ariola's dangerous moments while Flores were in the game, or was in the game, or while Ariola was in the game, all yeah. ended up being on the other side of Flores. Like he had made a run coming across, um, and and that's the danger with a no a no true striker set is that you have players who are used to making different runs, and it's confusing. Center backs are like, hold on, hold on a second, you're you're one forward to ten, and he's dropped off in way in between the lines. The other guy's a winger and he's running from right all the way to the left. Like this is not what we expected at all. Um, and that is part of the reason why DC's early pressure in this game, that those early turnovers weren't just, well, we forced a turnover. That's good. It was, we forced a turnover and we found Edison Flores in like a 30 yard uh, um, uh, space here. They had just a huge gap between the lines. And that's, uh, you know, that's where the goal came from. And that's also where, most of DC's chances, even after Oriol left the game, were coming from that kind of, it was kind of a repetitive half in a way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. United kind of, it, it was almost a trap that New England just kept walking right into over and over again, where United weren't pressing the center backs or the keeper, but, and they were letting the defensive midfielder receive the ball. And then when he turned, that's when they would spring it. Um, and it was a little frustrating for the first couple minutes, I thought, because I was like, why are you letting him get the ball and turn? And then, it was because they would then take away the passing options and force him to turn it over. And it would be a sprint to goal Mm -hmm. um, and creating those transition moments. And Flores, I thought had maybe his best showing in black and red in this game. He, he got the assist early, um, but he was just dangerous all night. He could have had a couple more assists if, you know, the turf hadn't been new England's fabled terrible turf. uh, And if the finishing had been a little better, Um, but I, I thought he had himself a great game, and hopefully it's it's a sign of things to come for him.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the data points to him being the most dangerous player in the game. Um, if you look at expected goals, expected assists uh, combined, he was top for everybody in the entire game, both teams, um, among the leaders in pretty much every category for DC, um, you know, shooting as well as creating. So it was kind of, this is sort of the all-around, you know, this is the guy this is a number 10 that is being paid a seven figures um that guy has to be playing like this on a regular basis so um great to see he also played more minutes than i thought he was going to be able to play um i was expecting a slower ramp up yeah. than this i think maybe ernon losada gave us a little bit of a uh a little uh in, in, intentional misdirection uh on a couple of different players
0: he, he sandbagged us a little bit <laughs>
1: yeah um but one of them is that Flores was had more in his legs than uh, we would have expected. I don't know if that extends to this upcoming game because the amount of time he was out to play over an hour on turf and then to turn around and play another game two days later. I don't know about that, especially when one of the issues with Flores was we have to make sure he's 100% before we bring him back, which is a recurring theme with DC United. If, you, if you're out for a little while, they're not going to bring you back when you're at like 80%. Uh, you're right. going to have to wait.
0: One of the knock-ons from that, I, I wonder, because we've seen this a few times where players come in, they make their first cameo, and then they're almost playing full-time yeah. immediately after that. I wonder if that's um, one of the positive byproducts of of Losada's approach sure. to working people in after injuries is that because the ramp is so long in training, it's a much shorter ramp once they get on the field. Um, and hopefully they can you know do it without injury. Of course, Paul Ariola. Uh, Did get re injured. It's a hamstring. It's something that's bothered him. It it ended his loan in uh, the Premier League or in the championship, rather. It's something that's hobbled him before. Um, Hopefully, it's not too serious. And it's something that uh, the team can figure out what's causing this issue and fix that so that this doesn't keep happening, kind of like they did with Andy Nahar, who did not play in this game. We thought he was going to. The team basically told Steve Goff the reason he wasn't on the field in Nashville. Uh, despite making the trip was that he would they were saving him for New England. That obviously wasn't the case. He wasn't on the roster. Hopefully he's not seriously hurt and will be on the field against Atlanta because we're gonna need him. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back at the tactical setup, Hernan Losada once again used this the kind of triggered press instead of the the all-out high press that we saw earlier in the year. This was a more selective press out of a mid-block. Uh, and it worked really well like like we talked about, the chances all The first half basically all came from turnovers forced by when when they sprung the press in the midfield. Um, However, it kind of fell apart once Bruce Arena made the the triple sub and started attacking the hell out of the wings in their own transition moments. And Emmanuel Boateng just went ham like he does for Bruce Arena every now and again. He did that at the Galaxy in a past life. But um, Tejan Buchanan, Adam Buxa and Emmanuel Boateng changed this game.
1: Yeah, and also the way the revs um, switch things up in the midfield. Um, you know the the sub. It, it is is as much to get talented players on as, as I'm sure for Arena. The way he presented the sub to the players that were being pulled out uh, for Captoom and Masiel, it was you guys aren't hacking it today. You're out. Um, it was probably not presented in a very kind manner, um, where it was like, listen, guys, you'll get them back next week. Um, We got to make a change today. It was probably more like, you guys look bad. Um, And they did. Uh, To be fair to Bruce Arena, those guys played badly. They weren't recognizing that when they made that turn back towards the defense, that was when they were getting caught. And so they kept doing the same thing over and over and kept getting caught over and over. Um, And so I'm sure the halftime talk for New England was probably very busy. Uh, You probably had a lot of stuff going on. Part of it being guys that started the game as outside midfielders being told like, okay, now you're inside as central midfielders. You have to do X, Y, and Z because this is where they're catching uh, our guys. We can't keep having this happen. Um, to McNamara and Troussson's credit, they were not making that mistake anymore. Um, that What they were told to do, that they were not uh, making that turn too slowly. They were receiving the ball already facing in the, the right direction. And then they were very quickly looking long. Uh, New England took a huge chance by sticking with this four-four-two, but like their wingers were out high and wide. Um, and they were saying, we're going to go long to the wings. Um, we're going to go over the press, but not towards a target, man. We're going to go out wide, diagonal early. Um, we're not going to invite that pressure in central midfield with these uh, turns and with these uh, turns back towards uh, the defense and hoping that, oh no, um, the, are, are they going to jump us or not? We're not going to allow that to happen anymore. And we're going to kind of, Try and take their press away while also just sort of pushing play forward. And, you know, if they catch us on the break because we all of a sudden end up with only two people in midfield because we've played it long and we didn't win the second ball or whatever, so be it. Um It's a New England's an attacking team. They're at home. They're looking for the win. Um They're also just on a huge roll right now, so they're full of confidence. It's like, sure, let's go for it. Um Unfortunately for D.C., it worked. Um, And some of that is some shaky defending, it has to be said. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. if you especially on the what ended up being the game winner,
1: yeah, um, and just in general, like if you're telling me that DC with the players that were in the game, especially Briant and Burnbaum, three players in the back, uh, three center backs, I mean, um, if Boatang is going to be hitting crosses into the box, those guys should be winning those battles. Um, and DC unfortunately just seemed a little discombobulated. Uh, the, the tempo of the game, I think, maybe got away from them. They were maybe caught off guard by how early New England went into kitchen sink mode. Um, and that is when, that's when they scored their two of their yeah. three goals. Um, right after that's, the break. Um, that's really when the game got away from DC mentally, I think. It's not so much, yes, the tactics changed, but also DC kind of had the game in hand to a certain extent. But once New England got that thing and it wasn't even the goal the first goal it was before that they'd had one dangerous Mm -hmm. look in the about 45 seconds before that I think once they proved to themselves that they could be dangerous out of this look they got going and DC was never quite able to get on their feet from there
0: right and you saw it with the second goal New England scored which was so self-inflicted by DC United Fred Briant gets up into the attack and like kind of overcommits. He doesn't look like he knows what he's doing up there, like he was waiting for someone to make a run and no one did. So he's like, okay, I guess I'm making this run. And Felipe gets the ball and he's, you know, basically it's him and then the two remaining center backs behind him, and that's it. And he's got the ball with Gustavo Bo tracking him. And he doesn't get rid of it quickly enough. He's just too slow on the ball. And Bo just takes it off his foot and New England are off to the races on essentially a 3v2.
2: That mm-hmm. United
0: hustled to get back and force, make it a little more difficult, but like Boatang floated it over the top and Tejon Buchanan, I didn't know you could dunk with your feet, but that's what he did. Um, just really sloppy play in, in yeah. a very high leverage moment that didn't have to be that high leverage. I got on Tony Alfaro earlier this year when he made a similar mistake where he got forward when he shouldn't have and United gave up a goal. And this time it was Brian's turn to make exactly the same mistake. I just got to be a little right. bit smarter in those moments, I think. And Felipe has got to be better not to turn yeah. it over. He he and- specifically called out his own and other individual mistakes in the right. post game.
1: And these are, you know, Felipe and Briant are two of the main veterans on the team. Yeah. Um, and it's a moment where you've just given up a goal. Clearly there's a, there's a real momentum swing in the building. Uh, Rebs fan that went from kind of not present uh, in the first half to, all of a sudden, getting kind of loud. People were getting excited. Their game is, uh, tempo-wise, uh, ramping up quite a bit. New England now has a, sort of a proof of concept on these, uh, this direct play being viable. And it's a moment where your veterans have to calm the game down. And in Felipe's, Felipe's situation, that just means don't turn the ball over there. Um, yeah. keep, the, you know, keep the ball ticking over, even if it's playing safe for a little while. Um, if you've got to play safe for five minutes and just be very boring, so be it. Uh, in Briant, Briant's case, this is not the time to come from center, center back uh, into the midfield. Yeah. Uh, this is a moment to stay home.
0: Um, Especially but, when you have another one of the three center backs is a converted fullback making his first start, first of, start the of the season. Year. And then the the wing back on that side is also making his first start of the year mm-hmm. and is a converted attacker. So like Briant just needs to know the situation and yeah. just recognize take who they're playing. Take like a
1: deep breath um this is one of those games where um you need somebody out there needs to almost like do the gesture of like guys calm down um or you know stall over a throw in or um you know if there's a free kick at midfield uh do an argument with the referee that isn't even about like you're not even really concerned with the call you're just trying to slow things down for a second and um you know, say uh, all the, all this little kind of gamesmanship stuff, say like, Hey ref, I think the ball's a little deflated. Can we get a check on this? Like do something to calm right. things down and take the air out of the game. And instead DC, unfortunately, because they want to do the maximum overdrive thing so much. Um, and this isn't the first time we've seen this happen this year. Uh, that commitment to saying like, no, no, we're comfortable in this sort of deep water where the game is going back and forth so quickly. This is what we wanted. Um, it comes with risks and this was a moment where dc maybe needed to not take risks for 5 minutes and just sort of like make nothing happen for a little while um they had a uh what was it um i can't even remember the game now where they got to about the 60th minute and had had basically nothing happen they were managing a road game um there's too many games it's hard to remember what game it is anymore right um but you get 15 minutes to go by with nothing happening when you're in the lead on the road that means you're doing a great job Um, this was one of those moments where we just needed five minutes to go by where no one had anything to really contribute. Like if I'm not doing tweets from the site account during the game, if I've got nothing to say for five minutes and DC's still up one, nothing, or even, even at a one, one, it's like, okay, okay, this is okay. Um, It's not a big deal that we're not making things. And
0: now we can start leaning forward again.
1: You don't have to get the lead back immediately. It doesn't have to be like, oh, they, they equalize. Well, we better be back on top by the 55th minute doesn't have to be like that. And I think DC kind of got caught in that mental trap, which is fun when it works. Uh, this team has been exciting all year. It's just also, this is the downside. This is when you can get caught going the other way. And they did.
0: I mean, we've seen uh, people talk about it being winning culture in new England and in Seattle, but it's also, those are veteran teams with veteran leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, who Who understand MLs very deeply and neither Seattle nor New England has the best underlying numbers, but they know how to get turn those you know make those goals stand up on the field they know the moments to do it. and it's something that d c United has just got to grow into I think i'm not worried long term I'm just it, it was a frustrating night because of that. Uh, it ended with a nice exciting little something at least when uh, Ramon Abilad just uh kick the crap out of a ball, left footed, put it upper 90 to beat Matt Turner, make it three to two. Um, And just Juan Chope, you know, opened his account for DC United uh, looked, you know, he looked active. He was out there. He wasn't just standing around or anything. He was looking for a goal. He takes it off of uh, Ola Kamara who knocked the ball down and Juan Chope runs through it and then kicks through it. And I'm surprised the net actually stopped the ball because he crushed it.
1: Yeah, uh it's it's nice to see, you know, yes, it's just sort of a hoof up field with a knockdown from one striker and the other one uh just crushing the ball, but um it's nice to see some level of understanding, uh the the forwards combining. If if I don't know if Abila and Kamara are gonna play too much together, uh, but it's now two games in a row where DC's trailed and, and Losada's been willing to partner them rather than playing You know, rather than saying we only play with one true nine, um, he's been willing to put them both out there. So um, if they can start to combine more regularly, that's promising. Um, You know, it's still the sample size on Abila is so small, it's hard to say exactly how effective he's going to be within the pressing system, within the various normal tactics we see from DC at the start of a game, uh, because we have not seen him at the start of a game at all. Um, But if you bring in a guy and you say, we need another forward, Um, both to make sure Kamara doesn't fall apart from the number of minutes, but also just, uh, you know, it's good to to have different looks. And Abila's a different kind of player. Um, This is the kind of thing that you want that guy to do fairly quickly in his time, uh, is to come out and score a goal like this. So great for him. I'm sure confidence-wise, the time in Minnesota is probably not very helpful to him at all. Um, So coming in with DC and immediately scoring not just a goal, but like a really good goal, um, that's probably quite helpful for him. Um, I, I don't expect him to start this weekend, especially since Kamara only played thirteen minutes. Yeah, but it's nice to know that he's come. He'll come in, most likely come into this game on a high. Uh, and and now we have a little bit of a a reason to say like, okay, this is what DC was hoping to get because this is not the goal. Like I, I think I wrote this in there our reaction piece. This isn't the goal of just a guy. This is the goal of someone who's like I led the suit Americana in scoring um yes. i played for boca juniors like this is a statement goal so uh not a good day at the office for the team but at least this little this little end note at least gives us something to build on i think as far as avila is concerned hopefully not hopefully this is not a gladiador situation uh, yes. where we get one great goal and then nothing ever again um i don't think it will be i think that was a no a gladiador didn't not have ever... a
0: track record the way yeah. that Abula that does
1: but we might never experience a Rafael Gladiador situation ever again, which is probably good. But also, I hope we don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I think you're right. Abila, I think, is unlikely to start. I, I expect Ola to get the start. Um, I, I'm curious to see whether it'll be a two man front or a three man front against Atlanta. Um, it, it- It'll be it'll be interesting to see. There's some choices for Losada to make. If Flores can go, does he try to do the two man front with the, the mid block that we saw again, or does he throw Yao or Skundrich or Reina up there with the two of them to make it a three man front or Asad, like we who who played in midfield in this game, but we know can play higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot exactly of choices.
1: Was listed in the pregame show as leading the line. Um because you know, the, the team wanted to keep that information to themselves uh for for competitive reasons, I'm sure. But we definitely had some time where when the game kicked off, it's like, hold on, what is this lineup gonna be? And Assad stepped high yes. and for a second it was like, oh, maybe Flores is the center forward. Um, but then they settled in and it was like, okay, no, this is a look we've seen before. Okay, I get it. Because you could say it could have been Skundrich as part of the front three as well. Like there were a lot of yeah. different ways this could have panned out. Um, there was a moment where DC was shifted off to one side. Um, where it looked kind of like almost a four four two, like a mirror four four two of the Rebs. Um, so yeah, there's the the tactical versatility of this team does give Losada a lot of different ways to approach Atlanta. But uh, you know, DC's won six of their eight home games by pressing teams and mostly playing three four three. So that's what I would expect. It would be, I think, a mild surprise to see them go in another direction. But at the other hand, you do have to acknowledge that like Ariel is probably out. Abi or reyna played more minutes than they were expecting him to play uh at new england flores maybe he played more minutes than they expected maybe not um abby probably not ready to start quite yet so you say okay kamara is one of the starters but then after that it does get tricky uh and it's it's unclear what the approach will be and i'm sure losada probably woke up thursday morning like all right so what are we going to do with this next game this next game that is so close
0: Well, the game is so close. And so we're going to call it a segment and we will be right back to preview the trip, the visit from Atlanta this weekend. Stick around. This is filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights. In that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you called the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights uh if you have a wage theft issue they are there for you if you have uh a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh, if you want a free consultation, tell them we sent you. Go to com slash Filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. The relentless Major League Soccer schedule stops for no one, and DC United are back at it this weekend, hosting a resurgent Atlanta United. You see what I did there? Uh, on Buzzard Point, Saturday night, 8 p.m., Watch it on NBC Sports Washington, tele DCUnited.com, or ESPN Plus uh, if you are in the D.C. area, of course. Jillian Sackovitz is the host and sideline reporter for Atlanta United on Valley Sports South, and she is one half of the Indispensable podcast, the call-up from Major League Soccer uh, or MLSSoccer.com, and she has been kind enough to spend some time with us this morning. Jillian, welcome to Filibuster.
2: Hi, Adam. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me.
0: I got to ask you this. What are you drinking?
2: Ice coffee. <laughs> that's,
0: that's three Perfect. for three. We're all on coffee. Yeah. We've got cold brew drip oh. coffee and iced coffee going this morning. So uh, you are in very good company there.
2: <laughs> I often have an iced coffee at pretty much any point in the day.
0: <laughs> that's that's fair. I respect that. Um, looking at Atlanta United, things were pretty bleak there for a little while. but. The Five Stripes seem to have responded to a manager being fired better than just about any team I can think of. They've now won three straight. They're on the cusp of the playoff spots. What's the vibe down there?
2: I think the biggest thing is the fact that the team is just able to be themselves, and Joseph Martinez is relatively happy. You know, Joseph wants to score goals. You know, I can think of Michael Parkhurst. I think Jeff Lorenowitz said it that they've never met a more competitive guy in their life. And strikers are the most interesting creatures, I'll say, on the team always. You know, they really are, and they can be what makes a team tick. And, you know, Joseph is just a guy who, who wants to feel like he's helping. And Joseph is a guy who wants to feel loved. That's why he loves the city of Atlanta so, so much. So I think when things were challenging at the team, and, you know, Gabrielle Heinze said that Joseph wasn't training with the team for whatever reason. You know, that that unhinges the entire roster from bottom to top. While Brad Gazan gets the armband most of the time, you know, we saw Joseph get the armband when Brad was on international duty. And I've seen a new level of ownership with Joseph that, okay, this team is in rough times. You know, they threw together an assistant staff, Um, headed by Rob Valentino, the interim manager. But in talking to Rob, Joseph's been big. Even when he knew he couldn't play against Columbus due to the red card, you know, he was getting on guys at training between that Montreal and Columbus game. Uh, He was down on the field greeting the guys when he could. There's just been a a new level of, all right, let's all corral ourselves together and play for each other. And um, this is a good team. This is a roster that is, one of the most expensive rosters in the league. So there was no reason why they shouldn't have been playing well. And now I think that the guys are able to mostly all be themselves. Um, they are the playing like the naturally talented team that they are.
1: Jillian, I wanted to follow up about, um, you know, obviously Joseph's going to get the attention for a good reason, uh, given how how great he's been throughout his time in the league. Um, But another player who's suddenly really turned it around on an individual level uh, is Ezekiel Barco. He's got, I think it's three goals and an assist in this three-game winning streak. Uh, And they've all been important goals. He's not scoring the third goal in a 3 nothing He's scoring game winners. Um, What has changed for him lately in terms of, is it just having Joseph around? Or is it also something for him uh, on a personal level that's allowed him to sort of suddenly come into his own?
2: Without a doubt, I think we've seen a new level of growth and maturity in Ezekiel Barco. It's been a really tough start and stop run for him since he he got here. You know, I can think about going back to 2018. He gets here. uh, At the time, it was a record transfer deal for Barco. And he comes in. um, He kind of has a little bit of an off-the-field issue, you know, with the club, you know, uh, doesn't maybe get in the best graces to start with Tata Martino. Um, international duty, injury, international duty, injury. It kind of been the same story with him. Uh, But now this time he gets to go off to the Olympics and he comes back healthy. He comes back playing and he comes back being the Barco that we all know. He's still relatively young. And, you know, when he came to Atlanta, he didn't speak any English. He kind of comes here on his own. And and I hate to play that card, but I think that's overlooked so much in MLS. Like, okay, let's bring in – this especially with the Atlanta United pipeline like we'll bring in this young Argentine these are still guys that are coming to a new country they don't speak the language do they drive do they have their license yet it's that it's all those things and Atlanta United's done a good job at getting guys um you know assimilated with the team but it's still a bit of a curve and then Barco's yes has been longer than most people would like but at 22 years old now I think I think he's clicking. Um, Joseph made a comment the other week that you know Barco's like his son, so obviously there's a budding relationship there, um, to which elicited a very funny uh, reaction. Doug Roberson of the AJC said, "Well, I thought Orlando <laughs> is your kid, so does that make them? Does that make them brothers?" And he said, "Well, you'd have to ask Brad Gazan. He's like the mother of there." And poor <laughs> Brad, he's basically the only guy over 30 on the team, at 36 years old. So. You know, Brad, Brad is, he's the captain, you know, with, you know, in most families, the mom is the one who runs the household. So I took it as a compliment uh, to Brad, just a funny thing for Joseph to say, but they, their relationship seems to be clicking. And then I think we'll get into it, but someone else who deserves a ton of credit and won't take any of it is Rob Valentino, who has been managing now Atlanta United for a month and two days.
0: And it sounds, seems like he's basically on a record setting pace for MLS coaches, but Atlanta United has hired Gonzalo Pineda, uh, who DC United fans will remember was actually in talks to take over the black and red mm-hmm. this winter. Um, are you surprised that, the, that the, the brain trust in Atlanta moved so quickly, even with Valentino finding success? And I guess as a follow-up, Gonzalo Pineda has moved less quickly, and he's not going to be on the sideline for this game. I'm not sure when he's going to start uh, – managing games for for Atlanta United Mm -hmm. but he's been comfortable letting Valentino keep running the team while he gets settled it sounds like
2: yeah I spoke to to Rob Valentino about that and he says that they have a great relationship they've been texting and talking every day he says Gonzalo Pineda despite the fact that Gonzalo Pineda is the head coach you know has given him kind of breathing room on game day you know outside of a congratulations great game He's, letting, he's respecting Rob Valentino's space and what Rob and all the other assistants were thrown into and have done so well, finding Atlanta United's first three-game winning streak of 2021. Um, but Gonzalo Pineda will be joining Atlanta United in D.C. He'll be there. Um, from what I'm told, he, he won't be um, managing or on the sideline, but he will be in D.C., and he will be meeting the team uh, today on Friday, uh, in what capacity I'm not totally sure he is on a plane from Seattle to D.C. Uh, last I spoke Valentino will manage this game. And I think it's a huge nod to Rob, the fact that Gonzalo Pineda, you know, when a new head coach comes in, they bring in a lot of their own guys. Rob Valentino will remain an assistant under Gonzalo Pineda. And I'm not surprised Atlanta United moved quickly. You know, it's really just not their style. They still want to be a super club. So it's not their style that, all right, we'll ride out the rest of the year with an interim manager and uh, we'll kind of see what happens. You know, they did that in what was a COVID-19 pandemic um, that we're still in, COVID-19 pandemic last year under Stephen Glass. And I just don't think that they wanted to do that again. Uh, I think it's a huge nod also to MLS as a league and to the Seattle Sounders that Atlanta United, who's wanted to make waves at times in hiring Frank DeBoer, um, hiring Gabrielle Heinze. Uh, who are just huge names in soccer, that they go with Gonzalo Pineda, who's been successful as a player with Seattle Sounders and also as an assistant manager. You know, I did a game um, sideline for FS1, Cincinnati's first ever game. They were at uh, what was the time CenturyLink Field, now Lumen Field in Seattle. And Gonzalo Pineda was my liaison with Brian Schmetzer on the sideline, and he was fantastic. Uh, respectful, um, communicative, res- and and nice. And, and I appreciate that from a sideline point of view. So, you know, I'm excited to have Gonzalo pineda here. Um, and I don't – and he said, and we don't expect the style of Atlanta United uh, to, change, to change too much.
1: Well, Jillian, you mentioned uh, wanting to be a super club, and, and some of that is just spending a lot of money, and Atlanta just did that uh, in – bringing in uh, Luis Araujo, who it's kind of one of those transfers that I I almost feel like uh, if any other club did it, it would have been talked about endlessly. But because of the other issues going on in Atlantic, it kind of – I haven't seen too much about it uh, nationally. So I'm curious, um, how, how has he looked since coming in? Uh, I know he played against uh, TFC over the – or I was about to say over the weekend, but the games are piling mm-hmm. up so fast.
2: Yeah, on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he got thrown into it. And you're so right that if this was any other team, a D.C., um, a New England, who is, you know, one of the best teams in the league right now and has been pretty much all season, a 12 uh, – uh, reportedly $12 million signing uh, would be all over the place. But, yeah, and just because I'm learning this, just like my broadcast partners Kevin Egan and, and Mo do, he's Brazilian, and uh, he told us or he told the communication staff, it's Luis Araujo. So, emphasis on that middle oo is what we're learning. So, we're learning in vain too. Luis Araujo, uh, Brazilian. He comes from um, who finished top of the table, French side Lille. They got in, he got in minutes. He did well. Uh, when he came, the League 1 in France was at the very end of their preseason. So, he's coming in fit and ready. Came in fit and ready. You know, you don't always get a guy who's had a full bout of preseason. He had that. Uh, he also comes from a, a winning culture to be the side that that won uh, France's Premier Division, so that's a plus. He's a winner. Uh, he's confident. I talked to him when he arrived at the stadium on Wednesday, and he was cool as a cucumber, super confident. You know, sometimes walking into Mercedes-Benz Stadium, it's it's an impressive stadium by world standards. So, you just met your teammates last week. Uh, you're about to meet all the fans, the 40,000 plus. You're walking into the stadium. It can be it can be jarring. And he did not look shook at all. Cool as a cucumber, just said, I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited to be here. And just kept saying, and this is a really important game. He was already all in on the day-to-day. And uh, he played 66 minutes uh, against TFC. And Brad Gazan described him afterwards as silky. So, you know, he looked a little unsure at times um, of what the team, you know, he's only had a few days to learn tactics and all that. So, I'm excited to see when he's got more time to learn and to take that all in. You have to remember, too, his Spanish is very good. He did the interview um, with me and our translator in Spanish because our translator doesn't speak Portuguese. But, you know, he's a Portuguese-speaking first guy, Spanish second. I'm sure he speaks a little French. Um, and I don't So you know, it's just been a huge kind of, like, culture shift for him as well. So for him to come out there and perform the way that he did and get the touches that he did was really impressive.
0: We've talked a lot about the attack. I want to go to the other end of the field, and I still want to focus when Atlanta has the ball. How does Atlanta United handle being pressed very high up the field? D.C. United has uh, made that a staple of their approach, especially at home this season. So how, how has Atlanta dealt with that so far this year?
2: So it's it's a, mix, it's a mixed bag. You know, still under Gabrielle Hines, we saw them play the, the New York Red Bulls. Um, and, and it was challenging for them. Uh, we'll see what type of system they go with. Last game, they put in all four of their kind of attack-minded guys. Um, it was Ezekiel Barco, Joseph Martinez, Marcelino Moreno, and Luis Arauju. So we'll see. Do they kind of go with that attack, attack, attack? Uh, we've also seen the defense, Ed Bride-Gazan, put up two straight clean sheets. Uh, you know, you've got guys like Miles Robinson, George Bellow in there who are also at a next level of their game coming off of Gold Cup duty. And, you know, I think getting that extra confidence that you get when you represent the national team and then go win a Gold Cup. So I think it's going to be – I think it will be exciting. I think Atlanta United likes to play that way. Um, but you're, you've got a team on your hands now that the attack is starting to find their form and a defense that's put up uh, two straight clean sheets on uh, struggling Toronto side but also LAFC.
0: So last question before we get you out of here, uh, I don't want to make this awkward because I know you're, you're going to be on the sideline for uh, Valley Sports South this weekend, but how would you game plan against Rob Valentino's team right now? What would you focus on? What would you try to take away?
2: So I think that a big thing that I saw last game against TFC is we loved that Rob was going for it, right? Atlanta United fans like that. They want to see the attack. But that obviously can at times potentially leave you exposed, right? If, if you really go for it. So I think that's going to be what does Rob Valentino does? Does he does he put all four of those guys on the field to start the game, or does he um, kind of seal up in the in the back a little bit? And um, I think with Ola Kamara, um, that's a that's a big one.
0: All right. That's a theme we talked about with DC United in the the last segment as well. So thank you for tying it up so nicely for us, Jillian. That was amazing.
2: Oh, so I proved you guys right.
0: I mean, (laughs) it's a, it's a theme for both teams, I think, going forward and leaving (laughs) opportunities in the back, which hopefully means we'll get a really exciting game on Saturday. Uh, Jillian, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you tell anyone who doesn't already follow you where they can do that?
2: Uh, Well, you guys are the best. I appreciate everything you do. Uh, you know, podcasts like this is what makes MLS tick. So I appreciate everything that you guys do. But uh, if you want to listen to my own podcast that's put out by MLS, it's called The Call-Up. You can get it every Tuesday. It comes out. And um, also you can follow me at Julian it. So thanks so much. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, I always love a chance when we get to see Julian Grasso, one of my favorite guys in the league. Um, so I'm looking forward to this game.
0: Well, thank you again. Jillian Sakovitz. Find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, I would say they're normal weeks, but every week it seems like now is a a multi-game week, so it's harder to get content recorded and pushed out in advance for our patrons, but we are doing our best to do that. So if you want early access to at least some of our content, uh, patreon.com slash filibuster is the place to get that find us on twitter at black and red U for the website at filibuster dcu for the podcast send your emails to filibusterpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com uh, find us wherever you get your podcasts i'm told ratings and reviews are very helpful in helping new people find the show also very helpful just telling someone about it when you're at the game or tailgate this weekend mentioned that you heard a great preview with Jillian Sakovitz on this here podcast. And you know, maybe uh, our little community will get a little bit bigger. Thank you again for listening. Uh, Thanking Jillian Sakovitz once more for Jason and the absent Ben. I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason.
1: Uh, I guess now I go to bed at uh, before noon because after the show you go to bed, right?
0: Yeah, that's what I usually do, but I'm
1: going to go to work instead. Mm, That's weird. I think I'm going to go to bed.